Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, AJ Hogue, where AJ's more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's AJ with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi, I'm AJ Hogue, the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native. Join my VIP program to speak English powerfully, speak English confidently, think in English, speak English effortlessly so the words just come out automatically, effortlessly. Join my VIP program today at effortlessenglishclub.com. Dot com. Join today. Go to EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Talking to you today on a beautiful, I mean beautiful day today in Japan. Absolutely beautiful fall day, but a very warm fall day. No clouds. I mean none. I'm looking around. I see no clouds. Perfectly clear blue sky. Strong, warm sunlight. Sitting on a bench, in a chair in a park in the middle of Osaka City. So a few little trees around me. But I'm in the direct sun, so very warm. And again, that clear, just perfectly sharp, clear air that is so typical of a fall day. Just fantastic. So it's a really nice day to ch- sit and chat with you. So let's talk. You know, I don't know why, but today I was thinking. I was riding the train to the station today. And I started thinking about a, a very interesting difference between Japanese people, Japanese culture, and American culture. And specifically, it's something about communication. So this is useful for you as an English speaker learning to speak English. It's not really so much about vocabulary, although kind of. But it's just more of a a style, let's say. A style or a mindset of communication. The way something is described. Specifically, the way Japanese and Americans describe situations, and especially emotions. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine that I'm tired. I, I, I go to work, and I work during the day, and end of the day, the days get, we're getting to the end of the day, and I'm tired. So let's imagine, we, we'll give, give my tiredness a number, right? Like, like, how tired am I? One means I'm a little tired, right? If I'm like a one level of tired it means a little and 10 would mean super 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 tired 
right? Like I, 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 I can't stand I'm so tired. Like so tired, like after running an ultra marathon, a, a double marathon, that would be a 10, okay? So let's imagine at the end of my day of work, I'm about a five. That's my act. That's how I feel inside, right? That's my level of tiredness. How tired am I? I'm about a five, okay? One is very little. Ten is super. So I'm in the middle. It's kind of a, a normal average tiredness. Okay, do you understand the situation, right? You understand it? So I'm kind of middle tired feeling. What's interesting is, let's imagine then someone asks me, how do you feel? Are you tired? This is where the difference in communication, the different way of these cultures communicating. If you ask an American in this situation, how do you feel? Are you tired? An American likely, not always of course, but often will exaggerate Okay, they will say, oh, I'm exhausted. Oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. Right, they will make everything bigger and stronger. So they, as an American, like if I feel I'm a five, tiredness, but when I communicate it, when I describe it, when I tell someone else, it will sound like a seven or an eight. Right, I make, I, this is, this is called overstating overstating Americans like to overstate things another this is like exaggerating they make everything bigger or stronger when talking about things especially uh, something that's about emotion or energy or something like that Americans will usually or at least often exaggerate or overstate right I'm medium tired as an American say an American is medium tired but they will say they are super tired oh I'm exhausted Uh, they're not really exhausted okay they're kind of tired but they will they will try to make it sound much more that is a very American style of communication And the Japanese, what's funny and interesting, (laughs) you know, living in Japan is the Japanese are exactly the opposite. Japanese will often understate. They will understate situations and emotions. So again, the Japanese person also feels exactly the same. There are five on tiredness, right? Right in the middle. But a Japanese person instead often will say, I'm a little tired or or maybe even less direct. They might just say, oh, uh, I could use a break, maybe. I could use a short break. Short break would be nice. Or, oh, I'm looking forward to resting a little. Or, so they will understate, okay? They will make everything less. They will make it sound like a three or a two, okay? There are five tiredness, but when they describe it, when they communicate it, they make it sound less than it is. They understate things often. Again, not always, okay? Not all situations, not all people. But in general, I notice Japanese people tend to, they often will understate things. 
Now you can imagine how it would be a little funny sometimes when if you combine one American person and one Japanese person because the American will be overstating many things, making things sound much stronger than they really are. And then the Japanese person will be understating things, making them sound less than they are. So there's there can be a big gap of misunderstanding. I speak from experience. My wife is Japanese. <laughs> so we've, we've learned this kind of communication uh, difference. Now, luckily, in some ways... Um, my mindset is a little more Japanese. I'm not. I'm not a normal American person. Part of this is I'm. I'm from the South, and Southern culture in the United States is actually a little more Japanese, in some ways, not always. Okay, obviously not in all ways, but there are uh, some similarities between the South. For example, in the South, you know, t- Southern people are much less direct about communication. Because we value politeness, being civil, being polite. So we, we can still exaggerate when we say things like all Americans do. But we also, Southerners, traditionally, will um, avoid being too direct about things. Right? So, so we do have a little bit of that idea of being indirect, which is also very Japanese. Japanese often will say things indirectly. They will not just say it direct, right? If they're unhappy, they won't say, I'm unhappy. I'm, I'm angry. That's not usual for a Japanese person. They will say it indirectly. You'll still get the idea, but they will not be super strong and direct. And that way, Southerners... Southern people in the United States can be similar where they also will not be so direct about instead of saying I'm angry right again they often will also be less direct about it but still this overall idea of Americans overstating things (laughs) and Japanese understating is quite common and sometimes with Americans it's quite comical this is a stereotype, and it's a true stereotype of Americans, where they, ah, they're so big and and kind of exaggerated about everything. You know, one common one everyone laughs about Americans is that when they use the word awesome, awesome, it's so awesome, everything's awesome. Right? <laughs> and they'll use this word awesome, which means super incredible, amazing. That's the meaning of the word. But Americans will use it for the smallest things, right? They'll, maybe they'll try some food, and it's just good. It tastes good, but it's not super special. But an American might say, oh, this is awesome. These French fries are awesome. This hamburger is awesome. (laughs) This is just part of the American style of communication and culture where... Americans like to make things bigger, more dramatic, more exaggerated. And this is very true. It's a stereotype, but it is true with, I'd say, most Americans. In some way, they, they tend to exaggerate. And you have to understand this. So when you're talk, if your culture is different than this, 
and Americans are very extreme about this. This is a so you have to understand when you speak to an American when they speak that they are often exaggerating. You often have to in your mind lower the level to understand the tr- what's truly happening, what they are truly saying or feeling. I'll give you another example of this. Uh, I like to tell stories about my good friend Joe. But my, uh, my friend Joe, he, he many times when he describes a friend, like he tells me, oh yeah, this guy, Jim, he's a friend of mine. He almost always will say, he's one of my best friends. He's one of my best, best friends. When, now, he, when he used to say this, I thought, oh wow, so this Jim must be a super close friend of his. But then I realized that when Joe talked about his friends, he always said that. Every single friend he described, he would always say, well, he's one of my best friends. And Joe is a very friendly guy, very outgoing, very extroverted, uh, uh, quite different than me. <laughs> and uh, I started realizing, okay, you know, uh, we, he's, from my point of view, it's, it's kind of that this, again, this American exaggeration, right? Everybody's your best friend. Like for me, the, the, the phrase best friend, I would only use that with one or two people, right? My best friends. I, I, I have two best friends, really. That's it. Because cause for me, that's a very strong statement. But a lot of Americans might just kind of use that phrase. He's one of my best friends. But actually, he's just kind of a normal friend. And again, it's again this American habit of exaggerating with communication. So you have to be careful with this sometimes with Americans because if you don't understand this, you will sometimes get a feeling that things are stronger than the tr- than they really are. A, a small example would be uh, maybe American comes to you and 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 you ask him, you know, how did you like the Avengers movie? And they say, oh my God, it was awesome. It was incredible. It was great. And so you're thinking, wow, this this must be an incredible movie. This must be one of the best movies ever. And you go see it. And eh, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. It's kind of a typical action movie. Maybe it's good. But you realize it's not super awesome, incredible. Wow. Oh my God. Amazing. And you'll probably, you'll eventually, you'll realize that even your American friend doesn't think it's that great. (laughs) Okay? They're just exaggerating. Another uh, example of this I've noticed, again, with Japanese people compared to Americans, uh, is with food. So let's say you you get some food. I don't know. Pizza. You get a pizza. We go out, and America, and again, the pizza tastes good. It's kind of tastes good. It's not great, but it just tastes good. It's it's good pizza. Good pizza, it tastes good. Has a good taste. So an American might, or often might, exaggerate this and say, "Oh, this pizza is great. This pizza is great. It's not great. It's good." But the American will often overstate. <laughs> how good it is. Whereas the Japanese almost always, almost always will use exactly the same word to describe food that tastes good. Like every time 
when a Japanese person, when I'm around them, with family and everything, when they eat something and they like it, they use the word oishi, oishi. Sometimes that's translated as delicious. I think that's maybe too strong a word in English. Uh, I, I think tastes good is a good translation. Oishi means it tastes good. But Japanese will use this all the time. So sometimes it's hard to know. I mean, do they mean it tastes good a little bit or it really, really, really tastes good? Because they use exactly the same word. So with the Japanese, when they say oishi, how good is it? Well, the, how you know is it's it's kind of the tone. It's their face. It's how they're saying it. Do they say, um, oishi, oishi? That's kind of like normal. Or do they say, hmm, oishi? You know, and they really, uh, with the tone. And then you realize, oh, they really like this one. But they're using the same word. Whereas Americans, the difference is Americans will use uh, very different vocabulary. And Americans often, very often use exaggerated vocabulary. Another common example is if you're hungry. Japanese will say, onaka ga suita, which literally, directly means my stomach is empty. <laughs> which is, you know, actually it's a very accurate truthful statement, right? Not exaggerated at all. My stomach is empty. Yeah, right. That's why you're hungry. But an American, many times an American, if they're hungry, they will, they'll say something like, oh, I'm starving. I'm starving. Again, it's a super exaggeration. Starving means you're dying. Okay, the, the direct real meaning of starving is that you are dying because you don't have enough food. It means you're, you, you're actually dying. So it's a super exaggeration. It's much too strong. Okay? They're just actually just normally hungry. They're not starving to death. But Americans often will say, oh, I'm starving. Yeah, dude, I'm starving. Me too, man. I'm, I'm starving. <laughs> I have to admit, when I was younger before I traveled much I didn't even realize this you know it's just part of your culture right when you when something is part of your culture you often don't un realize what it's like you don't even realize you're doing it or that it's common but then after traveling a lot being away and when I go back I now I kind I see like I, I laugh about it because I realize how much Americans are always kind of over emotional and over exaggerating overstating uh, almost everything <laughs> and younger people t often do it much even more I, th I think young people by young people I mean teenagers people in their 20s even sometimes in their 30s Americans will super exaggerate when they talk about things older ones they still exaggerate I mean even people my you know my parents age exaggerate I'm starving but uh, but the young ones really 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 do it so anyway that's just a little bit of communication style I don't know about the Brits the British I, I just my feeling from watching British movies is that they do this less that Americans are probably the ones who exaggerate and overstate the most in the world. So there you go. Hey, by the way, if you're one of my hardcore, hardcore 
<laughs> Meaning you're you're one of my super fans, a super fan of effortless English. Follow me on Gab. That's where my super super fans are gathering. Gab.com. G-A-B, that's gab. Gab means to talk, kind of slang for talk, gab. G-A-B.com, gab.com. And follow me. My account is my name, A.J. Hogue. A-J-H-O-G-E. Follow me on Gab. Got another Dhammapada quote. Okay, here's another Dhammapada quote. Quite like it. Those who are ashamed of deeds they should not be ashamed of, and not ashamed of deeds they should be ashamed of, follow false doctrines on the downward course. Ooh, that's a little difficult and long. Let's talk about it piece by piece. Let's start at the end. This is describing people who are following false doctrines. Means a doctrine is like a teaching or a belief. A false belief, a false teaching, a false way. So it's describing people who are following something false. And it's not only false, but it's on the downward course. On the downward course. So it's going, it's people on a path, a way of life that's taking them down, making, bringing them down towards badness, towards evil. So who are these people? What are they doing? How do these people get on this downward course, going down? Well, this describes two things that these people do. Number one, they're ashamed of deeds they should not be ashamed of. We see this in our modern world so much. So shame means you feel bad. It's kind of like guilt, right? You you feel bad, you feel guilty about something. And that's perfectly good. It's normal to feel bad about something that is bad. Right, if you steal from someone, then you feel ashamed, right? You feel bad, you feel ashamed. You're like, ah, because you know you did something wrong. Well, that's a good thing. That's that's a good sign that you feel that. <laughs> okay? You should listen to that. But what this is describing, this quote, is a situation where people feel bad about the wrong things and feel good about the wrong things. In other words, they do something bad, but they feel good. And then they do something good, but they feel bad about it. This is our modern world. This is what the media and schools especially are creating. A situation where people feel bad about doing good things and they feel good about doing bad things. I hate to keep picking on the transsexual, the trannies, but it's just such a clear example that, and it's such a big popular politically correct example now uh, in the media in America where the media in America is pushing this idea that if a man dresses like a woman that's good that it's good and it's good for everybody to call the man a she 
and it's good to let the man go into women's bathrooms and to be around little girls, naked even. And that this is good. We, sh- we don't, that we, not only this person, but all of us should feel good about this and not, and feel no shame. This is the message of the media in America, I think in uh, parts of Europe too. And on the other side, the media also is pushing an idea that if you are upset about this, if you get angry about this, if you say, no, this is wrong, these men should not be around little girls or naked in a, in a bathroom, in a changing room, in a locker room. These, because these men uh, are sick, mentally sick. And this is wrong. That if you think that, if you speak out, if you say something like that, it means you're evil and you're, you, you have, you're a hateful, terrible person. And you should feel shame. You should feel shame for saying the truth. So it's this kind of situation, right, where evil is promoted, taught as good, and good is taught as evil. And where does this lead? It leads you on the downward course. It will bring you to evil. It will bring others to evil. It will cause harm. It will hurt people. And it will lead you down, down, down. This is basically what Orwell taught in Animal Farm in 1984. This is the main strategy of, well, the communist, socialists, Marxists, whatever you want to call them, totalitarians, is to teach evil as good and teach good as evil. Right? That's what Orwellian language means. It means they use, they destroy the meaning of words. They make people feel bad about doing good and saying the truth. And then they make people feel good about lying and saying lies. When you do this, you will destroy yourself. And when a society does this, when a nation, a country does this, that country will be slowly destroyed or quickly, (laughs) quickly or slowly. Right. Orwell's famous quote, you know, war is peace. But the Dhammapada wrote about this same idea over 2,000 years ago. So it's not a new idea, right? We said there's nothing new under the sun in many ways with humans. This is true. The, The technology of the media, especially television and now internet, just makes all of this much worse. 
know, because now this kind of the evil, the lies can be pushed uh, to millions and millions of people and repeated again and again and again and again and again. So the brainwashing is very strong now because of the technology. So it's very important that you resist this. It's very important that you speak the truth. Very important that you don't feel bad about doing it. Don't let others make you feel bad for saying the truth. No matter what they say, if they get angry, if they yell at you and say you're a bad person, it doesn't matter. Say the truth. Do what's right. You'll probably be a minority now. So many people are brainwashed by the media, but you still must do it. Exercise. Today I started a new program Finally decided on a new exercise program to do I shouldn't say new It's actually an old one That I have done in the past But I'm going to do it again I like to mix and change my exercise program sometimes uh, Mostly because I get bored (laughs) I get bored doing exactly the same thing But also sometimes uh, If I do one program for too long uh, Sometimes I start to get bored And I also sometimes just get physically tired Uh, Or I stop getting results But I'm going back to a program called Convict Conditioning And specifically there's one in the book called uh, Veterano Which means veteran Convict Conditioning is a calisthenics book So it's mostly it's body weight exercises Body weight exercises Push-ups, pull-ups, things like that Using your body to make to build strength It's it's a, it's a very good book. It's a very good uh, basic book about how to do body weight exercise and how to Improve your strength doing just body weight exercises. It's great So I've decided to use do their what's called the veteran program, which is a very very simple program, very moderate. One of the things I like about this, it's very moderate. I I do best for strength exercise. I find for me, I do best with something moderate that's not too intense. So the veteran program, it's basically just one. Each day you do one exercise. Each day one exercise. So for example, on Mondays, pull-ups. On Tuesdays, squats. On Wednesdays, handstands. On Thursdays, I'm doing deadlifts. And Fridays, today, I did push-ups. So, so you can see, it's, it's not much. It's, not, it, it, it's, it's a very, very l- kind of moderate program. Medium, even light program. It's not too heavy. It's not too exhausting. It's designed to build strength. And on each of these days, I'll do one exercise. And then what I do is I'll do two sets. Two sets. So today, for example, today I did two sets of push-ups. I warmed up a little bit, but then I do two sets. A set is like one group of exercise, right? It's one one period of exercise. So each set contains repetitions. 
This is basic exercise vocabulary for you. Each set has repetitions. So for today, for example, I did 12 push-ups, right? 12 repetitions. I did 12 push-ups for each set. So I did 12 push-ups. That's set one. Then I take a break, rest a little bit. And then I do 12 more push-ups. That's set number two. So two sets. Each set has 12. That's the program. That's it. So each exercise, I do two sets. And then how many repetitions? Well, that depends on the exercise. So between five and then up to 20. So basically what you do with this program is uh, there are different exercises. Some of them are more difficult. For example, push-ups. So we'll do push-ups. Um, right now I can do about 12 push-ups. But that, this is not fast push-ups. These are very, very slow push-ups. So 12 very slow push-ups. If I went fast, I could probably do 30 or maybe more. I don't know. Um, but these are super fast, so going down really slow. I mean, super slow, sorry. This means going down very, 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 very slowly, holding at the bottom for just a second, and then back up, 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 very slowly. So up and down, controlled and very slowly, squeezing the muscles the whole time. Some people call this mind to muscle. It makes the exercise much more difficult by doing the exercise very slowly. So I do 12. Next week on Friday, I'll do push-ups again. I'll try to do more. I'll try to maybe do 14 each set. We'll see. Try to improve. Right, and then the week after that, I'll try to add more. So each week, I'm trying to add more reps, repetitions. Until I get to 20. When I get to 20, when I can do 20 reps each set, so 20 push-ups slowly take a break, then do 20 more. When I do that, when I finally can do that, then I will move, I will go to a more difficult version of push-ups, right? Right now I'm doing normal push-ups. Maybe I'll do, I could wear weights, for example. That's one way to make it difficult. I could put a, have a backpack with weight and do push-ups, then it's more difficult. There are other ways to make push-ups difficult. You can do one, use one arm instead of two, things like that. That's the program. So you just keep doing it. When you move to the, when you go up to a more difficult one, the reps will drop, of course. So if I tried to do uh, a one-arm push-up, maybe kind of a one-and-a-half arm push-up, maybe I could only do five. So I'll do five. Ah! And then the next week, I'll try to do six. And then I'll keep, again, try to go up, 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 up. When I get all the way to 20, then I move to another exercise that's even more difficult. This is the convict conditioning program. It works very, very well. Uh, it's great for people any age. Any age, you can do this. So it's the same idea, you know, with pull-ups. I can probably do, I don't know, nine, ten 
pull-ups with a well I don't know I've been using a backpack so we'll see just without weight I'm not sure how many I can do but same idea I'll do pull-ups and I'll ke- increase the reps and then I'll <clears throat> move up to what I call rocky pull-ups which is kind of one and a half arms it's the same idea the same process and you just keep working up and what's great about this is you it's all body weight now I'm using for squats I will use uh, like a sandbag that has some weight to add some weight you can also use a backpack and I'm doing deadlifts because I like deadlifts so I'll be using a big heavy sandbag to do deadlifts but there are other exercises that will make your back deadlifts mostly improves your back so there are other back exercises that are possible but what I like is it's a, so following this program whole body gets stronger and the great thing about body weight is you can do it anywhere I'm going to be traveling soon in fact this next year coming year 2019 we have a lot of travel planned so to to exercise especially strength exercise I, I can't worry I don't want to worry about finding gyms it's, it's kind of annoying to try to find a gym all the time. And sometimes it's difficult when I travel internationally to find gyms. But with this program, I can do all of these exercises or some other variation. I can do this program. Uh, I can do the whole thing in a hotel room, in an apartment, in a park, really anywhere. That's what makes it great. So I highly recommend it. If you're interested in this, strength training with body weight, check out the book, Convict Conditioning. Convict Conditioning. And by the way, if you're interested in improving your English pronunciation, develop a, an American accent, to speak English with a clear accent so everyone understands you, every time you speak English. Improve your pronunciation with my pronunciation course. My pronunciation course trains your pronunciation so you can make all those difficult sounds, so you have the right rhythm, the the right music to your language as you speak English. Everyone will understand you perfectly clearly. Get my pronunciation course at EffortlessEnglishClub.com EffortlessEnglishClub.com I'm rereading a great series of books. Sometimes I read several books at the same time. You probably noticed. (laughs) I'm reading... Obviously, I'm reading The Alchemist again right now. I'm reading the Dhammapada. I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita. And I'm also rereading books called The Rational Male. I posted the link to this book, these books. There's actually three books with this title. There's a series of books. Rational Male. uh, The second book is called Rational Male Preventative Medicine. The third book is called Rational Male positive masculinity they're all by Rolo Tomasi and I'm rereading all of them these are fantastic books for men excellent books for men 
men, young men, really, I say any age, honestly, young men, older men, middle-aged men, uh, you know, even uh, teenage boys, read these books. Okay, I'm just going to say, read these books. If there's a translation in your language, get the translation. Okay, you don't need to do this for English learning. Uh, Do this for your life. These books will change your life. You will suddenly understand so much (laughs) that you didn't understand. I, I was exactly that way. When I was younger, I had no idea, for example. I had no idea about women, about dating. Not only no idea, I believed a lot of incredibly stupid things. Things we are taught by TV and movies and, and just other people. Again, the Matrix, really. The Matrix idea, again. And men are completely confused about these things. So many men, and you know, young men especially, I think, uh, are so confused. And they just have no idea what's going on. They don't understand. They don't understand why they're having such a tough time. They think they're doing what they're supposed to do, but they get bad results. They're not getting the results they want. It's not working. And they're just like, what? what? I don't understand. Well, these books will wake you up. This is the red pill for men. The Rational Male series of books. Read these books, men. Read them. Older men, teach these ideas to your sons and to your nephews and to your friends. And young men, Just learn them yourself. Let's talk about one uh, just recent chapter I read on this book, and it's excellent. It's really good. I 100% agree with it, and it's the idea of what he calls it male space. The need for male space. How this is so important for men. And not only men, boys too. Boys and men, both. The need for, he calls it male space. I would call it like a male, meaning a, a tribe. A tribe for men. And this is basically the old, 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 the ancient, ancient, ancient tradition of sometimes men getting together with other men. And only with other men. In other words, no women, no girls. Just men doing things together in a what he calls it again a male space this just means you know like male socializing is all it is it's it's pretty basic it's simple and uh, and of course the opposite is true i'm specifically talking about this from the point of view of men but for women it's the same women also need female space Right? Women need to get together with each other. Just women, no men around. Or women and girls. With no no men, no boys. It's healthy, it's normal, and is necessary. For boys, it's very important. For young boys, younger boys, even teenagers. It's so important for them to frequently, frequently, have time with men and just around other men. This is how they learn to be men. This is how they learn to connect with other men. And this is how other men 
can teach them about manhood and how to be men. Right? So boys need time away from girls, away from their moms, away from women in general. And, and of course, the school system is so feminized now and is anti-boy. So very, very, very important. But also adult men. Men, you need to have male friends and you need to get together with your male friends, just you guys only. Very important. At least once a week, I'd say. Do this, if you can. Now, as part of this, uh, Mr. Tomasi discusses, again, a very common idea, common knowledge, uh, I think all men understand this, is that men prefer, usually, and enjoy more getting together to do something. To do something. Of course, not all men are the same, not all women are the same, but generally, you know, women, for example, women will often just get together. They'll have coffee together and just sit and chat. They're not really doing much. They're, it, they're just, they just meet and they talk. But for men, I don't know, you know, that men don't do so well in that kind of situation. We like to do things together. We will talk to each other, but we like to talk to each other while we are doing an activity. For men just to sit around and talk is not so great. You know, like some, I know that they're, they're in America, they have sometimes some of these things called men's groups. And some was kind of like therapy a little bit. But the idea is that men are, will all get together and share their feelings and talk. But that's very, very feminine. That's a very feminine way to interact and socialize. Uh, I've always just been kind of, Ugh, I don't want to do that. Yuck. It just sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds horrible. <laughs> to me, it does. It just is too feminine to sit around and talk about your feelings. It's weird. What's much more traditionally male, and I think healthy, and what men t tend to enjoy much more, is to do things together, to be active, to have an activity together. I'll give you an example. I became closer with my dad. I, I have a closer relationship with my dad now. And I would say that the, one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things that helped us become closer, you know, me as an adult, me as an adult, one of the things that helped us grow closer was playing golf together. My dad has always loved to play golf. It's his main hobby, always has been since my childhood. And I finally started learning to play golf. I, I'm terrible, but just for fun, I just learned to do it. And, and actually, honestly, one motivation for me to learn golf was just to play with my dad. And so now when we visit with each other, we always play golf together. And it's great because it's, it's uh, opportunity and kind of an excuse. It's a way for he and I, just, just he and I, no women around, just he and I go off and we play golf. And golf is a slow game, so it's about four hours. So we're just hanging out together 
for four hours playing golf. And while we play, of course, we have opportunity to talk about lots of things. And it's a great way to connect. And overall, this is the best way, I believe, for men to connect. is for men to get together and then do something together. And then, yeah, of course, you can talk while you're doing it. But activity-focused. And it can be anything. It can be any hobby. It can be anything. When I was a teenager with my friends, my male friends, we would do wargaming, as I've talked about. So we'd get together in my room with a table, and we'd play these war games together. You know, four or five of us, and yeah, and we'd joke around and have a great time. And the game gave us that, that focused activity together. It was a great way for us to connect as kind of a male group, right? A, a, a tribe of young men. Fathers and sons need this very, very much. If you're a father, I encourage you, uh, find one or more, more probably, several activities, activities to share just with your son or sons. Something that's just the, just for the boys. It can be anything, really. Maybe it's camping. Camping, hiking, uh, it could be fishing. In the south where I'm from, a lot of, in a lot of families, the fathers and sons h- learn uh, and do hunting together. So they go hunting during hunting season. And the fathers teach their sons how to, how to, how to hunt. My dad wasn't a hunter, so we, I never did that. But, uh, but it's a very strong part of southern culture. And it creates a very strong connection between father and son. It's, it's a fantastic way to do that. Fishing is another one that, as I mentioned, uh, that, that is used the same way. Hunting and fishing. Could be a sport or different sports. You know, snowboarding, skiing, whatever, basketball, whatever. It doesn't really matter, honestly. Just pick some activities. Or it could be, if you're not into physical stuff, it could be, so, you know, like, like war gaming or board, board gaming. Uh, it, it's really not so important exactly what it is, but just find some activities. And of course, you'll do things with your whole family. If you have daughters, and of course, you know, your mom and the mom or your, your wife, of course, you're going to do a lot of stuff together, all of you as a family. Of course, of course, of course. But it is very important that you find some regular activities to do just with your sons, just the boys. And of course, moms and daughters should also do the same. It's important. Finally, it's important that you also have this in your own life as an adult. So, you know, a lot of married guys, a lot of married men will stop doing this. They'll, they'll stop doing things with other men. So everything they do, it's only with their wife or wife and children. And they, they don't go and do things with male friends anymore or with their male relatives. It doesn't have to be friends. It could be you're going and doing something with your own father or your uncles or your brothers or your cousins or male friends, whatever. 
but it's it's important. It's very very important. We we shouldn't lose this. I think men especially are losing this idea and this practice feeling like they always have to include women all the time and you don't and you shouldn't you shouldn't because we're not the same and men need to be around other men sometimes so yeah. and just other men we all know in a social situation okay if you have a group of men and then you add a wo- one woman or more than one woman it completely changes the social Mm, we call it dynamics, the social energy, right? The interactions completely changes it. Just one woman will completely and totally change it. And of course, the same is true. If you have a group of women, it's all women, and you add one man, it's going to completely change the, the, the feeling and the connection and the communication. In most of our lives and our societies, you know, we're, we're constantly mixing with women and men, women and men. That's fine. But we need time apart also because we are different. Men need time just to be men without worrying or not, without even considering what women want or think or feel. Okay? We have certain things we want to do or say or be that have nothing to do with women and women might not even like those things or approve and it doesn't matter so that's why we need to do them away from women so men I encourage you highly to find your own little tribe your own little group of just men and to do something together regularly as often as you can if you can get together weekly just do it just make make it a habit with your group of male friends or relatives and and do it with an activity in mind not not like get together and talk about your feelings none of that stuff just do something okay play a game do a sport uh, i don't know go for a hike do some exercise whatever it doesn't matter really but just do something not but not passive not not watching tv not something like that i mean do something together where you can actually be active not passive just as men that's number one. And then number two, men, if you have sons or nephews or even young cousins, then also make a regular habit, a regular time to get together and do something special do something with them do something with your sons just the boys just the boys and the men one second there's a siren so for example small example with my with my nephew who lives nearby I try to just get together and play with him do something with him about once a week it's nothing huge. I mean, usually we just uh, we play different games. He sometimes he just climbs trees, and we climb trees, and sometimes we collect bugs or something or <laughs> whatever. It's just uh, the point is, is just just him and me. My cousin, some of you know my cousin Philip. He's oh, he's in his twenties, so he's 
you know, a lot younger than I am. But he and I also will golf together. When I visit Indiana, we'll uh, go play golf. Yeah, again, like once a week, once every two weeks, something like that. And that also has it's given me a much better connection with Phil because we get together and it's just, just you know, just it's he and I or he'll invite one of his other you know, male friends. It's kind of a guy's thing to do. It's very nice. Men need this. Men need this. And the reason I'm talking about it is I agree with Rolo Tomasi that men do not do this enough now. In our modern society, certainly in America, I think in many countries now, uh, men are not doing this much anymore, and they're suffering because of this, because they need this. This is—it's healthy. It's good. It's—it's it's hard to know how to be a man and how to and just uh, be yourself if you never do this. So, find some ways to be around just men. And create your own male tribe. And women, not to leave you out, I encourage you to do exactly the same thing. You know, moms should have their daughter, mom-daughter time. And, uh, you know, you should have time with your female friends too. Or your female tribe, your relatives, whatever. My wife does this, for example. She's very close with her sisters. So, well, today, in fact, she went and she met with, uh, it's just women going out. It's my wife. Uh, her, one of her sisters, her mom, and her aunt, and they're all they all went out to go shopping and eat together. And you know, I don't, I'm not going to join that. I don't want to join that because I, I want them to enjoy that time together. All right. Well, anyway, men, read those rational male books because they really are great. And if you're a young man, if you're a young man and you're having a hard time with girls, if you're a young man and you don't understand the dating situation and uh, it's just painful and difficult, get these books. Rational Male, Rolo Tomasi. That's all for today. I am going to go for a walk on this beautiful, incredible clear, warm fall day. You too have a great day, a fantastic day. Let's be American and exaggerate it. Have an awesome day! (laughs) I'll see you next time. Join my VIP program today. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com